Hi, my name is Teresa Willard-Hughes, and I want to thank each of you for joining us. This is our sixth podcast, and I want to thank each of you who've listened to the previous fives, and, th- and thank you for those who this is your first. I've been very pleased and surprised with the viewers that we've had to our podcast. Surprising to me because I had no idea anybody would even listen to what I had to say. Surprise, surprise, we have listeners from around the world, from Africa, from, uh, can you believe this, Iran. We have visitors who are listening to us from Poland, from Prague, from all over the world. We have a number of visitors also listening to us, obviously from the U.S. But for whatever reason, I think we're resonating to small communities. As I look at where our listeners are located, we're finding that people are in very small communities are listening to us. And that whatever we're doing, I hope that we're doing right and that we continue supporting you at your voices are. One other little housekeeping. I finally, let me repeat the word finally have got our strong powerful and victorious.com website up and operating i'm listing all the questions that i would like you to respond to website and i'd like you to send us whatever comments that you have we want to hear your voice this is about not about me but about everybody who's out there what are their concerns what issues need to be raised and what the heck can we do to support one another so again thank you very much today's podcast is going to be on the healthcare issues and why health? Because health is what makes us all go around. Without our health, we really aren't anything. We can't support our families. We can't work. We can't take care of ourselves. So looking at the health care issues of those of us who have been victimized by rape, childhood sexual violence and incest is imperative that we take a good look at it. And especially if we're looking at it for those of us who are marginalized, people who look like me from communities like we already have it. We already have health care disparities. So you add this along with all the other issues that we have, it's important that we talk about it. 90% of those of us who have been victimized are women. And we, as we've talked about before, the economic engines within our communities, within our families, and we, what happens to us health-wise and economically, what happens to our future generations. So our health care is critical. But we're also going to talk about the health care with those of us who are gay and lesbian, and how, as young children, if any of that is, if we manifest any of those tendencies and how it harms us in our health, looking for our health care. We're also going to talk about, for those who are in the trans community, what our health care needs are. But the one of the things that I will say to you and to all of us is that we are, in many cases, getting those sacrificial children. We were sacrificed as young children by being raped and sexually violated. And as a result of that, what our needs are, what our needs were, and how we were handled, what treatment we received from healthcare providers, it sets the stage for who we are late in life. So let's talk about those first six months, 10 to 12 months after being sexually violated, of a, a trauma that we've experienced. I'm not really sure why adult by the time I was 11 years old, my grandmother thought that for some unknown reason that I ended up needing to have what we now call a DNC dilation and coverage of my uterus. Mind you, I'm not even 11 years old. There I am strapped on a table with my legs straight open in a gurney, too small really to even fit into the straps. But according to my grandmother and some crazy ass doctor, this was going to help me stop me having highly sexual tendencies. I was 10, 11 years old. 
I didn't even have a spare yet. What the hell was I doing on that table? What the hell was I having surgery for? But that was to control me, this so-called fast young girl. Fast at the mouth, baby. Sexually, oh, hell freaking no. I was 10. I was 11. But there I was being cut open. We are each traumatized in our own way. And we're too terrified to even talk about it. We're traumatized. We learn five things very, very young. So we are sexually violated as one. Second one is that we're told, as we've talked about way too many times, to shut the hell up. Nobody wants to hear a damn thing that you have to say. Shut your mouth up. Whatever happens in this house stays in this house. Shut up. No one wants to. We even go to the doctors and we're silenced because we have someone who's in there, that room with us as a parent who's already warned us and threatened us before we even got to the doctor's office that we better not say a goddamn thing. So we're silenced. The third thing that happens to us is that we're shamed. We're made to believe that what happened to us whenever we're sexually violated, however the trauma accuse, it's our damn fault. Think about the number of young boys who are sexually, have been sexually violated. You have a sexual predator says, it was your fault. You wanted it. You got an erection. He didn't get an erection because he wanted it. It was because of a body function. And as a result of it, he's made to believe it was his fault. How many times as young girls have we heard that it's what happened to us is because we had the wrong dress on? How many times has someone who was a gay young man has been told that you know, all we're going to do is just bang the gang out of you, rape you and bring it. Come on. We're young. We're kids. And we're made to believe that we should have something to be ashamed of. Nobody says a damn thing about the predator, but it's our fault and we should be ashamed of it. And then the friggin' ass stress, Lord, Lord, the landlord, the stress that we live under. Most of us know our sexual predators as children. 80% of us know them live in the household with those bastards. If you're not living in the household, that person is invited to the house. You can't get through a holiday or a Christmas season without that bastard showing up, dropping by, being there, and the fear that you have, the fear that this man is going to be able to attack you again. You are living under such stress that nobody even understands it. But that stress level it sets us up for long term. So what do we do? We do the fifth thing. We try to figure out how to self-manage our own care, how to manage with the lives that we have. And how do we do it? The only thing that we could do is try to control what little functions that we have. We don't sleep because we're too afraid to go to sleep because you don't want to be awakened by being spanked. I, on the other hand, was terrified of ever going to the bathroom. Imagine growing up in a household for three and a half years and you were terrified to use the toilet to take a dump. Why was I so afraid? I was afraid to be caught with my pants down, be in any way in position that I could be vulnerable, that my father could walk in and he could break. So what did I do? I learned to control my bowels. I would only go to the bathroom to have a bowel movement if I was at school. I would wait until if it was over the weekend, I would wait till school started back on Monday. If it was during a holiday season, I would somehow be able to visit a friend or if I got a chance to get to the store, I used the bathroom in a public bathroom. 
But the idea of sitting on a toilet in my family home in Pomona while I was being sexually violated by my father, sitting there relaxed with my pants down, oh, hell to the no. I was never going to do that. So over the years, I have dealt with extreme problems with constipation. Or if I get too nervous or too fearful, I end up having massive diarrhea. But it's all could go back to being terrified of dealing with my father. Yes, you could think of the things that each of us have done to try to self-control, how to be able to manage and cope during that time period. Eventually, many of us have moved on, and then we learn how to self-medicate. We medicate in different forms. Obviously, there's the alcohol we can use to drink, trying to shake out the shame. We may use drugs to be able to block out the pain of it. But a lot of us, those of us of a color, those of us from a religious background, we eat. We eat the pain away that maybe if we get too heavy, if we get too obese, our predators will leave us alone. We have no idea when we're that young what are the long-term health consequences of what we're doing are. Who in the hell knew when I was 14 years old by holding my bowels that at 70 I still have a problem with constipation? Who in the hell knows when you're 14, 15 years old that if you're eating that this could lead to obesity and that leads to diabetes and that leads to sleep apnea, that leads to you know heart conditions and potential strokes and high blood pressure. None of us know when we are kids that this is what will end up happening to us. We don't see our doctors as someone that could take care of us. Hell, most of the time, we don't even get to see a doctor. Why? Because our parents or whoever our guardians are, they do not want to see a doctor. And as I said before, even if we get in to see a doctor, we have been threatened and we have been told, whatever you do, do not tell this doctor what happened. So we learn very early to shut up, don't talk, and lie like a freaking rug to a doctor. Because we know. So we have this horrible thing called delay of care. We wait, we have learned how to deal with pain, we have learned to deal with shame, and we don't see a doctor. And if we do, we tell them very little. Our health care affects so many different aspects of our communities, even when we're small children. Think about the number of times that we don't go to school because we have been beaten up or we're sexually damaged and we're terrified and we can't think because we have been under such stress. We are not able to do our homework. We fall behind in school. Our absences creates problems for the entire school that we attend. As by not showing up, our school does not receive the funding that they need for the average daily attendance. Therefore, our school systems are already compromised. They get less money because more and more of us do not attend school. Those of us who are able to get to school, oftentimes we can't study. We can't think. We can't pass tests. Therefore, our schools are dinged again. And so are we. So this absence or the lack of health care, the quality of health care that we need, not only impacts us long term, it impacts us are we able to graduate even from middle school, let alone from high school. It impacts our schools by the fact that they do not receive sufficient funding because of the, the loss of funding for average daily attendance. For young girls, there could be up to 11 to 13% of us 
who've been victimized, who become impregnated as a result of rape, childhood sexual violence, and incest. And then what happens? I know politicians now talk about, oh, it's an inconvenience or a difficult situation. I'll talk about that later as a young woman who had a child as a result of incest. The term that I can think of comes down to two words, bullshit. It's not inconvenience. It's not difficult. It's hell. But the reality of this is she doesn't go to the doctor because no one wants to take the 13, 14-year-old girl to the doctor at this point. So she doesn't get prenatal care. Her baby doesn't get prenatal care. She has no idea what's going on with her body because she's too young. But as she gets near term for having her baby, her baby hasn't had the prenatal care. We learn as young children to lie. And once we learn that impact, we carry it on into our lifetime. We don't talk to our doctors. As young boys who've been sexually violated, they don't talk. I know of a case where a young man who died before he was the age of 26, he was from a Christian family, he was gay. He had been masturbating so for long, and his family told him that because of his masturbation that he was going to go to hell. He believed it. He absolutely believed this story. And when his testicles got bigger and he was ended up with testicle cancer, but in his mind, he couldn't tell his doctor. In his family's mind, this was God's punishment because he had been masturbating. No, he was a confused young man. Religion that said to him that whatever he did to his body was wrong. And who he was as being a gay young man was wrong. He died before the age of 26. So let's talk about what happens to us in our bed life. Since we've already gotten down the patterns of lying like a friggin' rug and understanding the concept of delay of care, we don't see doctors. We don't go in. We don't see, check for anything that we're supposed to do. And a lot of the reason is that we don't have sufficient health care. We may not be insured. We're working. We're primary caregivers. Most of us have been raised, if you're a woman of color from marginalized country, we're grown ass. I do not need to see the doctor. I've already dealt with I can handle this. Okay, so what if I have a migraine? Get me some aspirin. But we deal with our own pain because that's all that we have ever known. We have never been taught that our health, our bodies, our minds, our anything has deserves quality care. So we put it off. And we put it off and we put it off in the delay of care. As we get bigger because we've gained weight, we come down with diabetes, we may not be able to afford the medication. For those of us who have health care, we don't even do well with it because we're still lying. I mean, I have the same primary care doctor since 2011. Last year, 2019, I was going through some problems with my health and I mentioned that this history I had of childhood trauma. She looked at me, she goes, wait a minute, you've been my patient for eight years and you're just now telling me? Hell yeah, I just told her. Why? Because I liked my doctor and I wanted her to like me. And I feared that if she knew my truth, my history of trauma, she would see me differently. And I wanted her to see me for who I am. And so once again, I remained silent. 
How much of my health did it cost me? My battle with blood pressure, my battle with stress, my battle with trauma, my battle with thinking, oh my God, I thought I just had a stroke. I didn't tell her the reasons why, but it was all back to those issues because once again, I was silenced and shamed. I've done a lot of work in correctional health care. You start looking at the issues around women and men who are incarcerated. You look at the trauma that they've experienced, high rates of trauma. Over 50% of those women who are incarcerated have a history of some form of trauma, of childhood sexual violence and intimate partner violence. Even men who are entering prisons will report that they have been violated if you ask them the right questions. And in communities of color and marginalized communities with high incarceration rates, correctional health care. It is the primary health care in communities of color and marginalized communities. Think about the number of people who are incarcerated. What, one in every 100 in some communities, one in every 30 or is in some form of correctional setting? Correctional health care is marginal health care at the freaking best. Sure, in hell ain't Kaiser. It ain't Blue Cross. It ain't Edna. It's not Sydney. It's not any of the health cares. But it is the primarily either directly or indirectly of communities of color and marginalized communities. We do not get taken care of. And it's this health care damage and delay of health care. Lying to our health care providers is what's costing us. Healthcare providers have known since the what, late 80s that there's a direct correlation between diabetes as well as childhood trauma. But how many times as a diabetic patient has a doctor asked you about your history of trauma? Probably almost never. And how many times have you ever told them that? We never do. So here we are being treated for an illness and we have the diabetes, but what we also need is help with our dealing with the trauma that we've experienced. Imagine if we had the two of them under control, what our lives would be like. That is what I'm talking about is that we need to talk about our health care. People say go in and talk, but the doctors don't know how to ask the questions. Because in today's world of political correctness, you don't want to ask something that gets really upset someone. We, on the other hand, are too ashamed. So we are left out. Back in 1966, Martin Luther King, in one of his speeches, made a profound statement about health care disparities and health care inequalities. His statement was very simple. Of all the forms of inequity, injustice in health care, is probably the most shocking and inhumane because it results in physical death. I would add to that results in delay of care, substance abuse, shame, silence, all the things that we're dealing with, incarceration. It impacts us in every way that you could think of. This injustice of our health care, and it's on our part because we don't talk, it's on doctors' parts as well. One of the things that we're developing are guidelines and guide points for healthcare providers to be able to figure out ways that they could talk to their, their patients for those patients in various health situations, especially if they're obese or if they're dealing with diabetes, especially in communities of colors, how they can have a conversation with their patients to be able to find out what they need. So that they could be able to say to someone, we would like to refer you to a help to a mental health care provider, someone that would understand you, but and we could get your diabetes and your weight under control. 
what a difference that would make. Part of one of the things that we're also doing is that we're asking people online at our, now that we have our strong, powerful, and victorious.com website set up, that be able to say, what would you like to, and how would you like to have a doctor talk to you? What are your fears of talking to a doctor? So that we could be able to develop a dialogue and a guidelines for both the patients, those of us who have been victimized, and for healthcare providers to have these serious conversations about what is going on with our health. We need to be strong as women, as minorities, as LBGQ community members or trans community members. We are the economic engines within our, for our own selves and for our own communities. We need to be healthy. We need to learn to talk. We need to learn how to say to a doctor, I was traumatized as a child. What can you do to help me? And we need that healthcare provider on the other end to be able to say, let's have a conversation. Not look down upon us, not look what we fear more than anything else is the side eye, that they're going to look at us as if there's something wrong with us. At 71, I'd rather have the friggin' side eye than die. I have been battling with a tailbone problem since I was a small kid and has gotten worse over the years, much, much, much worse. I could barely walk. When I went in to see an ortho about it 10 years ago, through we went through the x-rays and he came back and he said to me, you're misused. Do you realize that you have an old hairline fraction around your tailbone? This looks like it was never healed properly. Do you have any idea how this occurred? Instead of telling him the truth, that when I was 16 years old, my father, in his pearls of wisdom, when I defined him for raping me, kicked me and beat me and just kicked me in the spine all through my back. I lied to the doctor like a rug. I said, oh, yeah, I fell off of a chair onto a cement concrete floor. That's how I was injured. I sure in the hell was going to tell this man that I did not know that my father had raped and beat me. I didn't know this doctor well enough to tell my truth. So they'll go out of the doctor's office. And what do I do? I never return. And I live off of Advil liquid gels for almost 10 years, crippled in pain. I finally had to see a doctor, and I finally got the strength when I was 70 say, doctor, this is what happened to me, and now I'm being treated for my tailbone. But it took me all of those years, and we ain't even talking about my investment in Advil liquid gels, because I was too ashamed to talk about what happened to me. We got to stop this being ashamed. We all have to stop being silent. We have to talk. And we have to train our healthcare professionals to listen to us and for us to find our voice to be able to talk about what happened to us. Our health is the most important thing that we have, and we have to be able to talk. About it.